We first begin with the discussion of asylum seekers in New York City. And I'm so pleased to be joined by my friend and comrade, Carl Hamad Lipscomb. Carl Hamad Lipscomb is a veteran policy strategist, movement builder, a writer, an advocate for immigrant rights, criminal justice reform, and racial equity. He currently serves as the executive director of Envision Freedom Fund, an organization committed to dismantling and transforming the immigration and criminal legal systems in New York City. New York City Mayor Eric One-Term Adams has made it clear from press conferences from New York City to Texas and back that he doesn't want any more asylum seekers coming to the city. The city has seen 36,000 asylum seekers arrive as of January 4th of this year, but keeping asylum seekers out of New York is not a real solution. Thank you so very much for joining me, Carl. Thank you so much for having me, Nona. So what is poor one-term Adams going to do? So what is his suggestion for how we resolve this problem, quote-unquote, of asylum seekers coming into New York City? Yeah, you know, his ideas have been very disappointing thus far. As, you know, he was elected largely by Black New Yorkers. And as Black New Yorkers, we listen to him on the news and, you know, we agree with him and then he'll say something that's off and it's like, no, 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 we can't do that. And so in this instance, he's relying almost solely on the federal government and the state government. And he's looking for them to bail us out, which is right. They should definitely be offering more funding for resources for asylum seekers and for immigrants overall, for all immigrants. But he's also ignoring New York's burden. Our social infrastructure um, has been failing for way too long. It affects both the asylum seekers, but also the Black New Yorkers that have lived in New York for a while. And we all live side by side. And so everyone is struggling when there isn't access to housing when there isn't access to jobs. And so thus far, his response has been disappointing in that it's just sort of, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see if Biden moves or if Hochul moves, while also housing recent migrants in places that are just incredibly inconvenienced, that aren't necessarily culturally competent, setting up tent cities on what's really a remote beach. It's 45 minutes away from the nearest subway station. And he's done that, you know, three times already. And the city not being as responsive as it could be. There have been some recent articles that have talked specifically about what is happening with Black asylum seekers. Um, As usual, often Black migrants are invisibilized in these conversations. But we've had the plights and the challenges that Black migrants are facing be surfaced. What Mm -hmm. are those challenges? How is it different um, than what is happening with other migrants, um, other asylum seekers that have come into not just New York City, but cities all over this country? Yeah. And, you know, I know we're not necessarily talking about what's happening at the border here, but Black migrants approach the border along with all other migrants seeking to enter the U.S. because they have family here, because they're escaping violence and poverty that's often caused by the U.S. But what they're met with at the border is racism, it's xenophobia, 
not at the hands of ICE, definitely, but also at the hands of a lot of organizations that work at the border. And so the organizations that help facilitate individuals getting on buses to go to New York and to go elsewhere aren't necessarily providing those services for Black immigrants. And so Black immigrants being turned away are getting to other parts of the country via airplane and via other means. Um, they're being paroled into the U.S., but they're not being bused from Texas or Florida. And so they're still, they're arriving um, in heavy numbers, um, especially here in New York. And Black immigrants, um, you know, the, this, um, the city services have been set up specifically for individuals arriving by bus. And so Black migrants, if they're not on the bus, and most of them are not on the buses, are not eligible for those services Everyone's calling them asylum seekers. I call them just recently arrived migrants because not everyone is an asylum seeker per se. Black migrants are not eligible for those services. And so our folks have had to rely, as we've done for hundreds of years, on our own communities and on our own, what they would call informal networks to survive, our own mutual aid networks. I think what you might have read about a few weeks ago is a brother up in the Bronx that houses anywhere from 30 to 40 African migrants that are arriving by plane at the same time that the asylum seekers are coming by bus. And he's housing them, he's making sure they have food and clothes and whatnot. Um, he's trying to get them services because they're ineligible for what the city is providing at this time. So that's just, you know, that's one of many, many ways that Black migrants are being um, uh, treated differently. We have similar situation happening here in Los Angeles where you have individual Black migrants that live in the Los Angeles area that are literally you know, checking in with their church members, with members of mosques, and trying to see how they can help recently arrived migrants uh, be able to have a place to stay and to have food to eat. Um, I think there is this illusion, a myth that people have that when people come into this country as recently um, arrived migrants, that they have all these resources mysteriously. People just give them money and the government gives them, you know, the capacity for business licenses and all of these pieces. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah. And I mean, I think that to a certain extent, and you know, some of your listeners might disagree with me, I partially blame our own immigrant rights movement for that, because for many years, we touted this good versus bad immigrant narrative. And we framed immigration as being about becoming the high school valedictorian and starting a business and having this flourishing career and becoming wealthy in the US. And so the government, of course, that's what we're asking for. That's how they are going to design their policies and design their narrative. They're gonna design it around the quote unquote good immigrants. And so I think that that's, you know, that's largely been the problem. The big thing here is that just like in every other part of our society, Black people are not benefiting from this false American dream. Black immigrants aren't the ones that are benefiting from the business loans, and Black immigrants aren't the ones that are living behind the white picket fences. This narrative hurts Black migrants, but even more importantly, the policies that are designed in response to this narrative have really hurt Black migrants. You talked earlier about the fact that for you know, recently arrived Black migrants and the Black migrants that have come earlier, that we go to 
Black neighborhoods, you know, that's the place where we're going to gravitate. And of course, Black neighborhoods already have resources that are stretched. And so part of the narrative that we hear from President Biden, who talked about the human rights of asylum versus so-called fundamental rights of Americans, using his term, which apparently include a job, you know, I'm like, hey, We should be able to work with that if that's the truth. But anyway, and then you heard Mayor one term Adams doing the same thing, you know, kind of pushing this idea that there's this competition that's happening. And when they control the resources and make the resources scarce, as you pointed out, it can feel like that. So how do we address this issue of getting resources such that recently arrived migrants particularly Black migrants, um, and does not become this wedge issue with Black folks that are already in these communities who are already struggling to try to get work, to get housing, to get uh, you know assistance in terms of food, et cetera, especially in light of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think that one way that we begin to address it is to not necessarily talk about this as a very unique, isolated emergency that's taking place right now, because that implies that there's a quick fix that will end the emergency when the real problem, as you mentioned, is that we don't have access to housing, that we don't have access to social services, that we don't have access to jobs and the resources that our communities need. And so what we can start doing is talking about those things, because those are the things that everyone needs universally. The problem isn't that there isn't enough shelter for asylum seekers. The problem is that there isn't shelter for anyone, that we're all affected by it. The problem isn't that there aren't jobs for Black migrants. The problem is that there aren't jobs for Black people, and we are all economically struggling together. And I think that we begin to talk about it. And I know that it's um, talking about these issues. I don't want to introduce the idea of intersectionality here, but talking about these issues in a way that connects them is often hard. But I think it's important. I think that's what will resonate with, with folks, you know, everyday folks on the ground. They know that they're economically struggling. And so to tell them, yes, all the problem is that everyone is struggling. And those are the solutions we need. We need the federal government to commit to more funding for housing for everyone. We need the state government to do the same. We need Eric Adams to stop talking about, you know, the asylum seekers and versus Black people versus other communities versus Americans and so forth and recognize that one, you know, when he cuts shelters, it affects everyone. And and he knows this. And so I think this is what we have to start doing. We have to start talking about these, people like to call them deeper social issues. They're not that deep. We need money for housing. When you give the money, (laughs) it'll be resolved. What's deep about that? Right. It's not that deep. It's pretty clear. And, uh, you know, people talked about, I'm thinking about the early years of the pandemic, because the pandemic is not over, when people talked about how they suddenly understood. They got it. It was clear. You know, that um, all of these inequities had been surfaced and it seems like uh, already all the inequities are getting buried. And as you said, being treated as if you've got to go deep, deep, deep um, to hit upon them. I know last week you participated in a press conference with the New York City Public Advocate 
um, Jamani Williams and other movement organizations, including Baji and the Gambian Youth Organization to lift up concerns about Mayor Adams' position. What message do you hope people heard? I know you've talked you know, about some of it, but what message you hope people heard and then got from your words, um, the words of your comrades and partners, uh, and of the public advocate? Yeah, I think, I hope they got the message that talking about a site like an asylum seeker, um, you know, a, a migrant crisis specifically in New York um, and as an emergency is really a distraction from the fact that there are plans to cut funding for vital social services um, that are used by Black Americans, by immigrants, by everyone in New York. And it's easy to say that, oh, well, you know, there isn't enough. It's, it's easy to make it sound as though we don't have enough resources because of these quote unquote new people coming to the city. But the truth is, we don't have the resources because, because you're not giving them to us. You're not allocating the funding. And so I hope that what people got was that the recently arrived migrants, asylum seekers, are not the blame. They're not to be scapegoated for the lack of resources. It's our policymakers and our mayor's office. Absolutely. Can't keep giving money to NYPD and closing down everything and getting shot that the resources are not available. How do people connect with you and the work of Envision Freedom Fund if they want to learn more? Sure, there are a few ways. You can definitely visit our website, envisionfreedom.org. Uh, we have a podcast that you can find on multiple platforms. Um, it's called Dismantling Injustice, and it's on Spotify, Apple, and so forth. Um, and you can just follow us on Twitter. Just search Envision Freedom Fund, and we will pop up. Thank you so very much, Carl. I really appreciate you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, Nana.